What if our actual garments that we wear every single day were alive? As soon as we know that something has an agency of its own and it's living, we tend to think about it differently. Welcome to the Blue Continent Podcast. I'm your host, Brennan Pertzer, International Research Coordinator for the Blue Continent Alliance, the Blue Continent Podcast, and your Blue Continent. What this program is about, this podcast, what makes it unique is, is finding people who have knowledge or expertise or have worked to address in a sustainable way a lot of global development issues. Music for today's episode came from Persia, who has a unique perspective on changing people's minds when it comes to the way they consume clothing, calling it biogarmentry, the concept of living clothing. I hope you'll find her concepts and ideas quite interesting. Oh, hi. Hi, is this Roya? Yes, hi. It's really nice to talk to you. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Agigi. So glad for you to, to join me on this. When I heard about what, what you were engaged in here, I thought it was really revolutionary, something I'd never heard of. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Wanted, wanted to know more about it. So um, can you tell me what problem are you trying to solve? Oh, many, actually. <laughs> so this, is, this particular project is a passion of, long passion of mine. So I've been like a fashion obsessed personally. I've been trying to just like, you know, do something about it because uh, I'm a designer and I believe that as designers, we have a huge power and role and responsibility in doing something about things that we create in the world. And seeing all these crazy numbers of textile waste into the landfill, the pollution and how fast fashion is shifting the culture of cons like textile consumption and all of that sort of forced me to think about um, something different. So what I'm trying to do here, I'm not trying to, well, I always say this and I always open with this, that I'm not trying to um, solve anything. I don't want this to be considered as a solution, but as a process of conversation and thought provocative piece, maybe more so than a solution because design and designers as they're thought and as they're offered in the world, they tend to just tackle a particular single linear solution, offer a fastest possible, um, sorry, they tackle a problem and offer the fastest solution to that to just like, you know, cover up with the, cover up something which not necessarily solve it in the long term. That could be just a, what do you call it, a band-aid solution. You would say if you were solving a problem, the problem would be that people don't give enough consideration as to the impact of their wardrobe. Impact of their behaviors in general. So what I was trying to do, I was trying to shift our fundamental beliefs and values and core attitude towards fashion, mainly. Because right now, uh, fast fashion made it so cheap and accessible to everyone to be, just be able to consume and not even think about the consequences of their consumption. And as well as, you know, there are a lot of research out there indicating that um, the clothes are not even being worn more than 20% of their actual potential. So what does it really say to us? So you just wear a t-shirt for 10 times and you throw it away? Like, what is really going on with all that? And there are other, like other, way of addressing this issue there are a lot of other practices upcycling recycling but to me i 
really, as much as I appreciate those and I think they have great value, but I don't think a change actually can appear without changing the values and the core foundation of thought process and decision-making process. So I was trying to create something that triggers um, human connection with living things. So as you know, whatever is living around us, we tend to take better care of it or care more for it. So I was trying to use that in an aspect of clothing and I started thinking about, okay, what if our actual garments that we wear every single day were alive and how would that change how we treat them or what we do with them? That's a really unique concept. It's true. I mean, if pe you, people, we, we take care of our children, right? And if you, if you have a pet and you don't have children, you treat your pet like a child. And if you have a plant, you treat your plant like a pet. And if you have, you know, <laughs> we, we, we just upgrade and we appreciate these things that, that we can perceive of as alive. Exactly. As soon as we know that something has an agency of its own and it has its living, we tend to think about it differently versus just an object. And clothing has become so, um, like the value has completely gone like if you go back to history, you'll see that textiles used to be precious. They used to be an indication of wealth, class, uh, amazing cultures, and so on. Where is all that right now? What's going on to it? I mean, it's true. So what have you achieved? Uh, I mean, as you were talking about that as a fashion designer, this project in particular blends elements of uh, a fashion, uh, the, the keen sense of fashion, along with uh, biolo a biological understanding as well as materials engineering are all, all elements to this. Yes, basically I call myself a multidisciplinary designer, a person in between various different fields of practices. Um, in design, it's starting to get a little more bold these days. In past decade, there are a lot of practices basically similar, uh, with a similar approach of combining multiple practices. And I think in this way, all of us bringing our strengths together, we have a higher power of actually creating something more impactful versus just me trying to create like a fashion concept and all that, you know, science and engineering um, uh, improvements and all those like uh, basically discoveries stay in an archive of university where no one can access to. So how can we actually combine all of them and do something with it? Because especially right now, we are the air, we had the time that if you don't do something right now, there would no be time. There, yeah, there's no other time, like done. My research had two phases. Like I mean, two phases of my research has been a little like um, done right now. The first, in the first phase, with uh, a collaboration with the University of British Columbia, uh, basically a group of scientists and biologists and material engineers, we were able to um, create the first proof of concept of this living textile. And in the second phase, we started to think of. Um, this textile as an indication, as a visual cue for consumers. And we did a really in-depth research on temporal patterns and how these changing patterns can help um, basically triggering or forcing people to take different actions. And you know, that part of it, like more of a psychological aspect of it. Um, mm. Yeah, so, so far we've been managed to, we managed to actually create like a first proof of concept. Uh, uh -huh. It can live, it can like, you know, do whatever I always say that it does, but it's not in an 
production scale and to be honest with you I that's not my goal <laughs> because I don't you, want to contribute to the whole problem you happen to have one of these uh, in your closet now do you just bust it out once in a while and wear it <laughs> I do have small samples which by now they're dead but as they did they're actually more beautiful now too but um, what, what what happens visually when they die well Depends on the type of organisms that I use. Uh, the first series of organisms of algae that I use, strain of algae that I use, they tend to lose color and fade away. So they, the growth pattern starts from no color. They start growing these beautiful patches of green and it gets greener and darker and to the point that it covers the whole sample. And as it dies, it fades, the color fades out. The second strain of algae that we use in Netherlands, um, the color tends to get a little more yellowish or goldish after death process. So there are different aspects to come, you know, to think about it. And the whole point of it, I don't mean for these to be another solution. As I said, I want this to become a piece that people care with and slowly build those habits towards, um, you know, a bigger, uh, what do you call it, goal. Okay. So. And another question I had is the samples that you created, at least in these first prototypes, basically, they look kind of like a, like a rain poncho or something like that. You know, they're they're they they spread out and um, they're they're very thin. Of course, is the thinness is that necessity, or it, would it be possible to create ones that were were just heavier, or like a coat or something like that? Yeah, no, actually it doesn't need to be like a film or see-through uh, fabric. Basically, the reason that I created the first proof of concept way is to um, show people the process of what actually happens through the textile, sort of like an x-ray of textile. Yeah, yeah, but um, at the lab when we were working and testing different scenarios we actually use like heavy material like cotton linen banana silk you know various different type of substrates um yeah no to answer to that like directly no it doesn't really need to be see-through at all that was just the purpose of that exhibition okay. that was just so that the person seeing they couldn't miss what you were trying to uh display for them exactly as i said it's more of a provocative piece for me and i want people to realize that, okay, what do you mean? And it's more of a conversation versus dictating what to do and what not to do. And a lot of people come to me and say that, hey, like you're not good with plants, so does it mean that you're gonna kill this? I'm like, perfect, kill it. And then that guilt is gonna take you somewhere, hopefully. Um, <laughs> That's true, because you, you couldn't uh, wear it twice and keep it locked away all the time like that. That's the point, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. That's why I always say that you are not, well, you know, when you come home and just like take your clothes off after a very warm day and throw them through the washing machine or a, a corner of your closet, you're not going to treat them the same way. Or maybe next time that you're going to go to the park and sit on a very rough texture bench, you're going to think about it, how it's going to affect your second skin. Because think about it, like textiles are literally second skin and the most intimate objects around us because they're always with us, on us, the closest thing out there, you know. 
I, yeah, that's true. I, I really never thought of it that way. How that in, that intimacy that you have with with clothing that way. I I got to say though, since COVID has happened and I've stayed locked in like four or five days in a row without seeing people, I do end up wearing my the same cl- shirt over and over again because. <laughs> Like a cartoon character, nobody ever sees me. You know? <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm happy about it. Like, I mean, one of the positive aspects of COVID was that people will stop shopping for a while. They didn't need new clothes, <laughs> so <laughs> that's not fact, bad. <laughs> so I was I was listening to this report. Um, it was uh, on the New York Times. Uh, um, they have a podcast every day called The Daily, and they did a whole thing about a week or two ago. And it was about how when, well, the fashion industry has been just eating itself right now. Just, you know, there's, there was one fashion designer who started like sweatpants forever or something and <laughs> blowing up because all people want to wear is the most comfortable clothing that they can wear. I mean, if you look at this, like, you know, pictures that are going around in social media about Zoom and how people are just like, you know, very dressed up from, um, you know, mid top and then bottom if they're wearing their PJ. So, uh-huh. so. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just going to freely admit that half the meetings I take now, I'm wearing <laughs> pants right now. I am wearing my boxer shorts and most of my meetings, I got to say. I'm the same. Like, don't worry. I mean, it was, I wish it was always the same that people would realize how it impacts everything. If they would just like take a second minute and think about do I, do I really need another piece of clothing or not like and another aspect of this is that you know just because you need to actually constantly care for them and take care of them so they need effort and attention i hope for people to start realizing that oh it's like having 10 kids versus one i cannot take care of all of them so i might have to buy less to be able to you know keep them alive longer i don't know if you heard this story a few years ago um, when I think it was some of the people from high up in the UN uh, were traveling to the tropical regions. I think they were in like Sri Lanka or someplace like that. And the, um, the head of, of the United Nations, uh, general secretary at the time, I think it was Ban Ki-moon. Uh, he decided, he's like, hey, it's not reasonable for us to wear suits while we walk around here in the tropics. Yeah. And they, when he like set a new trend by like taking the jacket off oh, and like what? you would normally wear because dressing that way necessitates a, a tremendous energy pro- profile. You have to you have to keep all this air conditioning on like crazy because people are idiotically wearing suits in the tropics, you know? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I'm glad that people are starting to take action and, uh, you know, go against about all these um, very, like, social, what do you call it, uh, taboos. Mm-hmm. Because it's okay not to wear a suit when you're going into the tropics. Like, and wh- who says that if you don't wear a suit, you're not a crazy politician, professional person? Yeah. We need to redefine this. It was created, it was man-made culture that decided this is the way it had to be. And it's got to be someone's initiative to say, we're not going to be that way anymore because it doesn't make sense. Exactly. I always say we need to retrain ourselves. Um, exactly. We've been trained this way. We've grown up seeing all these beautiful pictures. Like success has always been shown to us in pictures and advertisements and everything. As as a girl who wears suit, and a guy who suits up too. So, and they're always like the same. The hair is always just the same. The, they, it's always the same. And 
I, I just feel like people don't even think about other ways of looking successful than those images out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it makes me laugh when I look at people's, some LinkedIn profiles. These folks, the, they think that they have to look a certain way to uh, reject this particular image. But then if you look at, at the people who've really achieved the, the biggest success in life in any particular field, very often they'll decide, hey, you know what? I've already achieved success. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look the way I want to look and be myself. And that is so true. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's the whole problem with the society. People constantly, just because they're not there yet, they, the only thing that they can do is to just try to look that way. That's right. why they go with the appearance and most yeah. of them, not to be mean, but most of them are empty inside. And that's what's happening right now. I mean, most of these pictures that I look at, they're just students, first year students, and they look like Bill Gates in like a conference. I'm like, why, why, why are you not yourself? Like, what's wrong with that? Well, my, my twist on that whole idea was that, hey, if the people who really made it are full of this confidence and they act like themselves, if I, if I d display myself like completely, then people will say, hey, that guy's got confidence right there. He must have achieved something, you know? Totally. Because as you said, you know, people that they actually got somewhere, they don't care about how they look because everybody already knows them. If you have, you can hold a good conversation with them for a while and you know that then the appearance doesn't matter anymore. That's all about it. So I have to say, I've, I've lived in some countries and I'm not going to say which ones where <laughs> as a cultural aspect, um, like it was more important to look the part than to actually be, to know anything or be able to perform at it. And, and it really was, even, even if I knew that this person was a good person and he was somewhat knowledgeable, uh, you know, it was more important to him to, to dress the part and look the part and, than to display what his actual knowledge was about the topic he was speaking of. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that's, that's just what is uh, sort of expected from people right now. Think about the whole, like, if you go to a shop, it doesn't matter how fancy or not fancy at all. Um, they first look how your dress, what you're wearing, how much you're worth immediately, and then they decide how to treat you. Like, there are times that I just like, go to places with my gym clothes and then I don't get served. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding, I don't get served. And then I wear like, I don't know, something a little nicer that I can't guess immediately how much it costs. And, you know, it changes. The same person, same location, yeah. Would you like to say what we know of the climate impact of the fashion industry? Like, oh, how yeah. bad? It is, it is going with the speed of I mean, if, it, if not faster with the speed of light right now, uh, by, it was uh, basically um, estimated that by year 2025, the carbon footprint of textile industry was going to be a quarter of the whole, like, I mean, pollution industry, considering like airplanes and this and that. And it's insane to think about it every single minute just like a single minute that you're chatting here don't even realize it um they're gonna be like million tons of textiles being dumped into the landfill 
now we have insane amount of um, human-made, like man-made islands that are made for our textiles because they can't do anything about it. No matter how much you donate, like there are a lot of other packs that it really shook my bone when I first um, came across them that, you know, basically what happens is that people donate and basic by donating you think that you know i'm doing something good i'm not just like throwing them away and how much do you think these donations can take in like i mean these are small non-profit little shops here and there and they cannot go with the same speed of this amount of clothing that come in so what happens is that they just like pick and choose and the ones that may not be as good looking they're just going to be thrown into the landfill again so um i just feel like this has become another like you know problem in this whole society that's what's happening with everything else same as textile that if it's not my problem it's somebody else's so by just putting the weight on somebody else's shoulders we think that oh you know problem solved now i donated it and it's not my problem anymore but do you really care what's really happening to the piece of clothing that you donated like do you keep track no no, it's pretty hard to keep track anyway, you know, it's like, what, how, what options do you have to follow that? I remember uh, <laughs> the worst piles of clothing. I mean, I've seen in, in some developing countries, some pretty extreme examples, but uh, I was in Tacoma, Washington once when I lived out there and I went to, I just went to go to the Goodwill to actually buy some clothing and <laughs> it was such a massive warehouse with huge bins everywhere and I was like you couldn't even look through all of this stuff if you wanted to like I, I can't imagine and then I saw that was when that that video thrift store by uh, uh, Mac, Macklemore came out yeah. and it was the same facility I'm watching that video I'm like I've been there I've been to that place there's so much clothing everywhere and I was like wow I mean what what do you do with all this stuff it can't possibly get processed through the system no it, it, and, and the truth is that they won't get processed in the system and they have to renew because no matter what their business too so they have to change and renew their um, pieces constantly as well they're doing a good thing but with the demand and with the amount of uh, waste that we are producing right now nobody can really keep up that's why I say we need to change the material culture versus just uh, thinking and focusing about the after artifact. Uh, we need right. to focus on the production and duration of use versus just think, bringing solutions to the after uh, the, the harm is caused. It really comes down to uh, making a business model that, that works with that because because our, our whole economy is based on consumption right now, right? And so like, how do you, if you're right now they're making millions of dollars well they're not this year this year they're not <laughs> no and it's funny because i heard yesterday i was reading um somebody actually referred this article that i haven't finished reading but um it's saying that the whole pandemic forced the fashion industry to rethink there are so many of their business models because now they know that the same thing is not going to be accepted it's not going to work anymore uh, and I hope that they pick on a lot of different things. But at the same time, when it comes to business, especially corporation, um, it's not gonna, we can't really rely on them to make a change because they're, yeah. they're basically, they are causing the demand, but we are responding 
to that as consumers, as citizens, right? So if you're more of a conscious citizen than consumer, then they have to respond to that. So think of it right now. Now that people are not shopping, well, they have to do something else. They have to produce food lens or they have to think about other types of, I don't know, doing their business. So that's what I'm saying. So we actually have more power to create the demand and force them to move in a different direction than just totally. waiting for them to make a change. That's the only way it's going to happen. We have a unique opportunity because in every way of life and every person living in 2020 right now has had to creatively been forced to make some kind of modification to the way that they were living their life before. And making making one change can lead to other changes, right? Yeah. I think this year was a really good reminder for everyone to especially that people had a little more time to rethink a lot of things and be a little more conscious to their environments and nature and about what's happening in the climate change right now that we're at the time that it's not just in the books or news anymore. You can actually feel it from year to year, from season to season. So like the whole West is on fire right now. Are you on the West Coast? I'm on the West Coast, but um, the fire, I'm in BC. So the fires have come up to just uh, Washington, BC across the border. Like I think, for, like unfortunately for them, but fortunately it hasn't come to Canada yet. But last year and the year before that, we had insane amounts of fires. And yeah. I was reading these reports saying that from last year's summer to this year, West Coast had like California only talking about had um, 4,000 something fires, wildfires. And now this year they're up to set almost 8,000. So it's almost what? a double. It's only one year and I'm speechless. Like I can't really say anything about it. It's just too sad and yeah. Climate change over here too, because I'm out in the Caribbean, right? Oh I'm my gosh, nice. Virgin Islands. And we, there are literally six big storms brewing out in the middle of the Atlantic right now. Oh and they've already gotten to like, was it LMS, something like that? Like we're, we're so far into the, the letters and we've had all these named storms that we, we aren't even half, we're about halfway through something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's really insane on that. Now, another, another model, and we we're talking about the business model of, of clothing and extending their life and reducing waste. Um, now, you, used, you studied before in, in Holland, right? And um, there, there is a, a company, have you heard of this company? They will uh, rent you clothing, basically, your, your jeans, because jeans are, the fashion of jeans is always changing. So uh, every month, then you turn in your old jeans and they recycle the denim and turn them into something that's more upgraded to fashion. So every season or something, you, you're just, you're not, you're not owning these jeans, you're renting them and then they, they change them. Um, I was there for a year. I was doing more of a design residency at a lab. Um, I didn't get to like spend a lot of time there, but I, did, uh, I never heard of this. It's a, it sounds like a great idea, but at the same time, um, when it comes to something like denim, the production of denim is one of the most pollutants um, type of like garments right now in the whole industry and just like you know recycling it itself like I I personally have a lot 
when it comes to these things, I always say, okay, so you're trying to just like solve this, but do you actually know what other problems you're causing? Same as I heard that there are these sprays right now saying that, hey, we don't have to use all that amount of water and this and that to dye our denims anymore. So they're just like producing these sprays that anybody can just like spray their own denim, whatever like, you know, look that they wish and so on. It sounds like a genius idea at the beginning because it's sort of like cutting off a lot of that production and waste and pollution, but, um, and labor to, you know, not yeah. but at the same time, the production of that spray, that factory and that manufacturing is crazy pollutant as well. The amount of, you know, I mean, we really need to put everything in perspective, in a whole bigger picture and context that it's not just, oh, now we have a different direction and this is going to solve that issue. But is it really, is it really helpful or, you know, how many other, how, like, yeah, how is it helpful? We just need to ask these questions every time that we are trying to rethink the way how we are proceeding in this world. Versus just, again, that would be another band-aid solution. For example, saying that recycling, that would be great. But then, let's say it's a purse, what's going to happen to that purse after a while? It's like, there's going to there's gonna be an end cycle. And where is that? And what then? Who takes responsibility over that? How many times does something that looks like progress end up having some unforeseen effect that's as bad or worse than the thing you were trying to do in the first place? Right? Exactly. Exactly. And again, just like, you know, taking the weight off our shoulder and putting it on somebody else doesn't mean that, you know, that's the viable solution. Right? right, right, exactly. A lot of times it does end up worse. It just ends up worse for somebody else rather than worse for you, right? You know? Totally. Yeah, so that's, that's something. I mean, like in the 80s, for example, there was a ton of smog in Los Angeles, right? And Riverside County. And, and then uh, they passed, you know, different uh, uh, air pollution standards and everybody went in California, yay, great, right? But the fact is, all the factories, they just left like Southern California, went down to Mexico or something, some place where, where there was no restriction on the air pollution and the overall effect on the planet was probably worse. But yeah. the air was cleaner in Los Angeles, you know? <laughs> yeah, you see that? Like it really, yeah, it comes down to all these business models and because the whole business models of this era is based on profit and what gives them the most profit in a shorter amount of time. Whereas actually saying, okay, profit is important. Of course, nobody wants to go bankrupt or anything like that. But at the same time, it should be in a balance to consider a lot. Because if there is no future, there's no profit for you neither. So what about, how about that? <laughs> no, that's a good point. Well, thank you for joining me and talking to talking about this. I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, oh, Same here. You know. Thank you for having me. Sure. I, I mean, I love people who, who encourage us to think in different ways. It's really healthy, critical thinking skills, you know? I'm, I'm really glad. I, You know what? All my life I try to be that, and that would make me the happiest if I know I can at least like influence one single mind, and that's that's all it takes. <laughs> I, no, I think I think you're doing, doing a pretty good job. Um, so I'll send you a link when this is ready to go. And uh, that sounds great. You can reach out to people and, and I hope that, um, 
I just wish you continued success. Thanks for, thanks for talking to me. Thank you. Have a great day. Music for today's episode came from Persian legend Vigwen, Zia Atabi, the Sri Lankan Wanamen, the Ukrainian Valery Kolesnikov Quartet, the Vitamin String Quartet with their cover of Macklemore's Thrift Shop, and W. Warman and Angustia del Alma. And of course, our theme music, The Lone Ranger by Quantum Jump. Thanks everybody for listening to the Blue Continent podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you'll subscribe and join us again. Tell others about us. This podcast is also available in a raw video format found on our Blue Continent Alliance Facebook page. If you'd like to see our mini documentaries from around the world, visit the Blue Continent YouTube page today. Thanks again for listening. Take care.